morning, church. Morning. Thank you for your giving as unto the Lord. And gosh, Psalm 118 and 24 does in fact say that this is the day that the Lord has made and we rejoice and we are glad in it. And so it's really, really good to see all of you. My name is Paul, privileged to serve as pastor of this congregation. Um, I pray that you've already been met with a sweet presence of the Holy Spirit, whether in the parking lot or at the door or through worship this morning. I pray that a smiling face and the love of Jesus Christ through somebody with skin on um, uh, this morning. So thank you for being here. Those live streaming as well, we appreciate you for taking an hour out of your time to spend with us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm coming off of one of those like unexpectedly emotional days. Uh, yesterday was one of them. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but things kind of catch you off guard and you're like, man, I didn't think that I would be holding it like that. Uh, so bear with me as I get it out before we get into our sermon. First was the implosion of U-Haul. If anybody's associated with the university, if you're not, bear with me on this front. But U-Haul, I thought, yeah, they're going to tear it down and put up some new stuff, some new indoor, really nice facilities, Terrence. And then I watched the video and I was like, oh, man, it's like they're tearing me up. <laughs> That's where I met Dickie V. That's where we saw Vince Carter dunk all over us and Antoine Jameson. All right, so that's out. And then there was UVA lacrosse. Any lacrosse fans in the house? There's one. Uh, I am not one, so I caught me off guard again when they went to double overtime with Duke that I'm like, why is my blood pressure rising? It's not March Madness. And then lastly, this is all sports references, sorry. Um, Toronto Raptors, Milwaukee Bucks, anybody watch that game? Yeah. Another one I had no stake in, so I thought. And then I'm like, well, dang it, Malcolm Brogdon is playing for the Bucks, So I guess I'm a Bucks fan. So I'm like, Lord, you got to help me. That was a tough, emotional day. Uh, but he's present in every one of those moments. Amen? Uh, it's good to see you all this morning. It really is a, ple a, pre a pleasure and a privilege to stand here each week to share the gospel um, of Jesus Christ with you. Uh, on March 31st, I think that was the date, we had... A gentleman by the name of David Hermes visit with us. Y'all remember him? Those who were here. Uh, he's pastor at Grace Covenant Church, Sterling Campus, uh, part of our larger Every Nation family. If you don't know, we're part of an Every Nation family of churches where we are supported and held accountable and uh, supported and held accountable, and it really does bring life to us. And so David came on March 31st because he is now being sent to Denver, Colorado to plant a church. And that day, and he's thanking me still to this day, he blessed us with a word that you can find on SoundCloud or our uh, podcast through the mobile app entitled Worth It. Uh, but we also were able to bless him and the team that's going with him to Denver, Colorado, financially, because it does take resources to do this work. Um, not being far removed from that, we, I think, showed up in ways that blew him out of the water. Here we are six months in, knowing quite well the resources that came in to bless us from Pastor Adam in Boston, from Duck, uh, Divine Unity Community Church in Harrisonburg, and the list goes on of folks who said, we are going to support and see this work uh, flourish. We had that opportunity, and as God sees fit, we're going to embrace future opportunities to support church plants. Now, you don't have to worry. We're not going to be receiving a second offering every week for another church plant down the street, per se. But particularly as those who within the Every Nation family and more specifically a part of uh, the Grace Covenant Church, parent church, sends people out 
will invite them in as they invited me all over the place, Phoenix, Boston, um, on behalf of Victory to share the vision, to preach, and then also to receive whatever gift they wanted to give to Victory Church. Um, and so next week is another opportunity. Tried to scaffold that so that you got real excited for the opportunity that we get to support another church plant. Yeah. yeah. Pastor Danelle Perkins. Um, and these are folks that are particularly close to us. They're family, really. David, family. Pastor D, family. Been at Grace Covenant for 18 years or so. Has been a pastor there, serving faithfully, and thought she was going to retire. Her husband worked for the police department for years. He's a detective and He's an associate pastor there at Grace, and uh, God said, no, I got some more for you. So you thought you were going to Myrtle Beach to settle in. I'm sending you there to plant a church. And so Pastor D, in the next two months, is going to be heading down there with the team. And so next week, we've invited her to come to share. I believe whatever she shares will, will be a blessing to us and then give us the opportunity to pour into what God is doing in and through her and the ministry team that she will be stewarding um, down in Myrtle Beach. So come. Come ready to receive, yes, but then also ready to give, amen, um, into the ministry that I know is going to bear fruit, uh, in part because some of that fruit is standing in front of you. Pastor D had my wife in her D group for some time years ago where she poured and poured and poured in, and so we know um, the character, integrity, and diligence in the Word of God that she brings to the table. Um, today, we're going to look at the book of Acts, so just turn with me uh, there. And while you do that, I want to highlight one other thing. I actually made a note about it, but as I often do, I step away and just start talking as God kind of leads me to talk. Um, this has been a really unusual time for Grace Covenant Church, the parent church in Chantilly, in that they have sent out a lot of folks in a short amount of time. 1999, they sent out Pastor Donnell Jones. Some of you met him when he came to the YMCA when we were having some small group meetings there. Uh, they sent him to D.C. where he was born and raised. So he went back to his hometown and has been there ever since. And then there wasn't a plant until like, what, 2013, I think, when they sent uh, Pastor Daryl Morrison to Phoenix, back to his hometown to plant a church. The next year, though, they sent Dehan to L.A., where his wife was from and where they felt called to plant a church. And then, as you know, we are here in 2018. So it's a really unique time in that those three, us, David going to Denver and Danell all within the matter of like five or six years. It's very unusual. And if there's anything for which I am taking this slow pace to describe this to you for, it's that we too be a place of leadership development and generosity. Think about the number of pastors that this one church has sent out. And there hasn't been a thought of how it's going to hurt them. Pastor Dehan is a pastor. Pastor Darrell is a pastor. Pastor Donnell, these were all on staff at one church. And I said, Lord, will you help us to be a place like that, where people who may not even see themselves, not saying you got to be thinking about pastoring a church or anything, but maybe you don't see yourselves in spaces that I nor some of these others did, but God is doing something in your life here. Help us to be that kind of church and as such be the kind of church that says, you know what, we are not going to be the ceiling to anyone's progress here. So as God grows you spiritually, and says you ought to be sent, we'll be able to say we want to send you with blessings and resources to help you to flourish. And that's a testimony of what God can do, I think, when we're available to him and hold things loosely. And I am grateful to be a part of that spiritual family 
that lineage, if you will, of generosity, of leadership development um, that we believe is rooted in God's word. Um, some of y'all are probably thinking, is there a church plan in Turks and Caicos? I'll be on that real quick. Uh, I told Pastor D already, I'm like, that's not fair. You get to come and just be like, come to the beach, the beach ministry. But, uh, and there will be a moment in all seriousness where we ask if you have interest in going with her, uh, then, then by all means, we want to prayerfully support, talk to, advise, give guidance around what church planning is all about um, and send you well-informed. All right. You have Acts by now, I hope. Did I say the chapter? I didn't. Chapter 2, verse 42. And if you need to look there or find that, let's pray while you do. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We pray according to your word. Psalm 119 and 18 says, open up our eyes so that we might see all that is in your law. Unless you open, we can't see, we can't hear, we can't understand, and certainly can't apply the truth that is in the word of God to our lives as you have designed it to be applied. We desire to take the next step of obedience with each passing day, living more faithfully from day to day today in this process called sanctification. And we can only do that by your word. So remove me, speak through me, allow me to be a clear conduit through which, through whom your word can touch my heart and everyone sitting here today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at one verse today. It's uh, <clears throat> verse 42 of chapter 2, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Last week, uh, we emphasized that proper perspective provokes praise. And this week, so the title of the sermon is Prayer 2. Prayer too. Proper perspective ought to provoke some prayer too. And I'm going to give you a heads up. Don't celebrate too much on this note, but this sermon today will be a tad bit shorter than usual because on the back end, I'd like for us to engage in small group prayer. So you can run now if you're really not into that small group prayer. But we want to end our moment today in prayer, uh, practicing, applying, if you will, some of the truth that I think is here in this particular text. The main point that I want to emphasize in the next few moments is that prayer promotes proper partnership. Prayer promotes proper partnership. Uh, I said I wouldn't tell this story too in light of the abbreviated sermon, but I will. Last night while you were sleeping, Taylor, sorry, um, I partnered with prayer at the end of the night, but before that a whole lot of nerds and Mike and Ike's and everything else that is supposed to be will the positive reinforcement for our kids for the behaviors that we are trying to see more of. Yes, we bribed them, is what we do. And I was all up in there positively reinforcing myself for whatever, watching the game or something. Um, but I had too much to the point where if you're like me, <laughs> you know, you just, you're here and then you're here and my head, I was like, I don't know what planet I'm on. But it took me back to Halloween in the fall. And if you were with us in the Boys and Girls Club, you heard bits and pieces of this story. Halloween where I did the same thing and I do the same thing every year. But I also thought about a story about one of our kids who this past year decided to wear the same outfit that they wore in 2017. Now, being a son of a frugal military dad and mom, I'm like, let's go. Let's do that. That's a great outfit. Great idea. Let's do it. And we're sharing that story with a friend when the friend says to us, 
sounds like that child of yours is pretty obsessed. I said, yeah, a little bit. And he says, well, I've got a story that'll top that. She proceeds to tell us a story of a friend, a relative, a friend's child of hers who was obsessed with Spider-Man. So much so that they're at dinner and they ask this young man to pray a prayer. And they say, will you pray for the, for the food? And he says, sure, I'll pray for the food. And so everybody closes their eyes, they bow their head, and he starts to pray and he says, Spider-Man, thank you for the food. Thank you for everything that you do for, I mean, he goes on and on. And so at this point, everybody at the table is opening their eyes and they're kind of like, what's going on? But the better part of that story, at least for me, was there was another young man, a friend of the kid who was doing this prayer at the table. He was over visiting or whatever. And while the adults have their eyes open saying, what is going on? The other kid at the end is in the corner like this. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Spider-Man, yes. And I thought about that. And you're like, what does that have to do with Acts 2? I thought about that. And I thought about what we partner with on a daily basis. One, that we're built for partnership, certainly, right? There's, there, there's, which is another conversation, made in his image, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's community there. And in his image, then, we are built for community, for partnership. But there are times where we try to partner with things that may not be bad. Nothing's wrong with Spider-Man. But maybe we elevate those partnerships above that which they should be. Or there are unhealthy partnerships that we might cling to, fear, cynicism, resentment. You go down the list in your own life of what it is that comes to your doorstep. And in this text, I believe of many things that we want to highlight today is that prayer promotes proper partnership in that it gives us the opportunity to converse with a holy God who wants to encounter us every single day of our lives and to see his power made evident in and through our lives. The Gospel of Luke, which is a couple of books before the book of Acts, records what Jesus began to do through his life, death, and resurrection which we're reminded of in Acts 1 and 1. But the book of Acts here, though, records what he continues to do through the risen and exalted head of the church, through the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out, as we see earlier in this chapter in verse 33. The book of Acts is believed to have been written by Luke as well. And the recipient of the book is a guy named Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we know that the audience is a bit more broad than just Theophilus, though this is the explicitly named recipient of this particular letter. And so Acts tells the story of how Jesus' followers were empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit to take Jesus' message of salvation from Jerusalem to what is described as the ends of the earth, which in essence is just the rest of the Mediterranean world. And so the story here in Acts, the beginning of the chapter begins with Christ, his ascension, being taken up before his disciples, it says, being hid by a cloud. And then it goes on to describe the events of Pentecost. Pentecost having some Old Testament and New Testament significance. We'll focus primarily on the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it's kind of the Greek name for a festival um, known as the Feast of Weeks and means 50 and refers to the 50 days that had passed since Passover. In this case, it had been 50 days since the resurrection here in the New Testament. And it says they were all in one place early on in that second chapter. 
And at this point, they included not only the apostles, the disciples, but also 120 at least others that we see mentioned in Acts 1 and 15. It says they were all together. They were on one accord. They were in one place. And suddenly a sound like that of a rushing mighty wind filled the place where they were sitting. What struck me this time in studying this passage, this is what I love about God's word. You read it one day, you read it the next year, the next week, and there's something new that comes across the page. And what struck me this time was that it was a sound that filled the room. I'd always thought of like a tornado, right? Like this illustration of the rushing mighty wind, but it was the sound of that wind. And here at Victory, we have a preaching lab as a quick parenthetical where we have several of our leaders get together once a month on Wednesdays. If you're interested, let me know uh, about that, where we study the word and some people get up and get to share the word with others. And uh, last month, Kate Martin, the coordinator of our uh, hospitality team, as well as our events coordinator, talked about our source being our sound. And essentially challenged everyone in the room, all eight or nine of us, to say, to think about what is our source on a daily basis? Because whatever that is, that's the sound that's going to emanate from our life. Here, of course, the sound, or the source rather, is God, and it's his sound through the Holy Spirit that filled the room. And as is the case when he fills anything or anyone, supernatural things then occur. It says then like wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread amongst them and they started speaking in a number of different languages such that a lot of the Jews from various nations across the world who were in Jerusalem at the time, they heard the sound and they came and rushed over and then they started hearing all of their mother tongues being spoken. And of course they said like you, what's going on? What's happening here? Are y'all drunk? And they started to mock them even. And at that point, Peter, one of the apostles stands up and says, hold up, (laughs) fall back if you were. In this day's version, or maybe in my college day's version, it's probably outdated by now. Fall back. Let me explain a little bit of what's happening to you here. They're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then he said, remember what the prophet Joel said? You remember how he said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, men and women. I'm going to have old men see visions, young men see dreams. That's what's happening now. Then he went on to talk about David because he certainly knew that this Jewish audience would respect him. He said, remember what David had to say? Well, that's what's happening in this moment. He was handed over to you, and you, in partnership with wicked men, killed him, crucified him, nailing him to the cross, but God has raised him from the dead. That's a moment for you to rejoice, because the fact that he is risen as the worship team spoke of today is reason for us being here today and having the opportunity now to partner with him to see him rise in our life, in our community today. Peter went on to remind him of things that David had to say about the Lord. And finally, in the 36th verse of Acts chapter 2, he says, quote, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then it says in verse 37 that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says about 3,000 came to the Lord that day. Now that's an altar call. That's an altar call. I don't know about you. 
but I like to insert little challenges here and there that with God's help we can meet. But I think about, Lord, what sound is coming from my life? What kind of sermon, whether I'm on a pulpit or not, is coming from my life such that others just come up and say, hey, what do I need to do? I've encountered Jesus through what I just witnessed and how you explained it or demonstrated it for me. And then comes to our text for today, given that backdrop. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, all of which are critical, all of which could be the emphasis for any sermon. But this morning, our focus will be on prayer because prayer promotes proper partnership. That which is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, to do so without ceasing, faithfully, consistently. Romans 12 and 12 says to be faithful in prayer and prayer within the context of the, the healthy living sermon series this month is one of the most critical disciplines to employ in maintaining our health physically, spiritually, psychologically, and certainly emotionally. And why? Because it reinforces our dependence, our partnership, if you will, with God. Explicit or not, as I've mentioned before, we are partnering in some way with something or someone to the detriment of our health or to the betterment. When we started this church, I think it's worth saying over and over, particularly at the beginning, but we will prayerfully for the next 30 to 50 years. Before we had a service, before we had uh, TV, certainly, before we had anything, there wasn't even a, a, a logo, we started prayer. 2017, we were on a prayer call. Anybody remember that? Anybody here on those calls in 2017? Mainly because I was scared to death. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, you called me to plan a what? A church? Uh, I'm a kid of a, pre a preacher, grandson, nephew, cousin. I know that that is beyond me. And the vision you've given us, I know is beyond me. Which, by the way, if you have a vision in life that you can control, it's not big enough. So we started in prayer before anything. Prayer is acknowledging, first of all, that you ain't got it. Right? That there's something about your finite nature that warrants a holy, superior, supernatural God to come in and do for you what you cannot do. And it's helpful when we come to that place on our own, but every now and then God has to kind of bring us to the place of, I need you, Lord. And yes, I don't want to have to come just when I'm in dire straits, but I know that I need you and I need you in all walks of my life on the mountaintop or on in the valley. And prayer to Jesus, not Spider-Man, ensures that this most proper partnership gets privileged over and above pride over and above the partnership with lust, over and above the partnership with cynicism, over and above the partnership with doubt and unbelief, anxiety and fear. Prayer allows us this opportunity to cling to an effort that we know produces fruit, in our case, health on so many different fronts. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17 and 9 adds to the rationale for why we maintain a prayer life by saying, that our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? So follow your heart. I'm not so sure we ever want to do that. And that's not I, me, saying my understanding of Scripture suggests that maybe we want, won't, don't want to go that route. Romans 7 and 18 says, For I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And so then we turn to conversing with God often, which is really all that prayer is. 
again, reinforcing our dependence on him and in many ways being a byproduct of our faith and dependence on him. Jeremiah 33 says, we can call on him and he will answer. The psalmist repeatedly says in the book of Psalms that we can cry out to him and he'll hear every single one of our cries. Prayer is simply, in Tim Keller's words, a continuation of the conversation that God started long before we were ever formed in our mother's womb. I didn't know a whole lot before planning the church, but I knew this. If God would give a vision, he would give a provision, and to the extent that we would partner with him in that vision, it would do exceedingly above, abundantly above, and beyond all that we could ever ask or think. And so today, what I want to do, perhaps untraditional in a church sermon setting, is to have us engage in the process of prayer. But I want to kind of scaffold the moment for us a little bit today. Because we have times of prayer, and I know I'll ask people, can I, how can I pray for you? What can I? And it almost sets up this idea that you have to be in dire straits to receive prayer or to pray. And I want to flip that on its head a bit this morning and think more along the lines of this acronym. We're in the book of Acts, and the acronym is actually ACTS, A-C-T-S. First being adoration, second being confession, third being thanksgiving, and lastly being supplication. How might we engage a prayer life that says, Lord, before I ever get to anything that I want to ask you, let me just spend time worshiping you for who you are, adoring you for giving your life for me. Help me to confess every day those things, the thoughts, the deeds that that have been byproducts of my life that I know don't align with your word on a daily basis. Help me to confess those things in which I fall short. Then to thank you and then to submit those things that maybe I want you to meet me in, in my own life. Amen? And so what I want to do is this, as Tyler comes up and the worship team prepares to come, is in three, maybe four, five people in a small group this morning, I want us to pray along those particular four points, okay? Maybe a minute, two minutes on each of the points, um, and I'll tell you when there are 30 seconds left in that particular point, and I'll close out that point with a more general prayer. But I want us to practice not just conversing with God, though that is a part of it, but conversing with God, too, with others, and thinking differently about prayer and modeling, I pray, what will occur in your life if it doesn't already, Monday through Saturday. Amen? Amen. So in groups of three to five, the first thing that I would love for us to pray in accordance with or alignment with would be that of adoration. Adoration, simply giving God Worship and honor, credit for being the holy God that he is. Matthew 6 gives a really good format in the Lord's Prayer in saying, Our Father, hallowed be your name. And so in groups of three to five, for maybe one or two minutes, y'all can gather now. We just want to pray toward that end. I'll stop it, and then we'll move to C, to T, to S, and y'all get to help me preach the rest of this sermon. Amen? Amen. We'll start with adoration. I'll close us out and then we'll move on to confession. But, and another quick note for those in the room who may not feel comfortable praying out loud, don't. That's an important caveat. This isn't for you to feel freaked out and nervous and like, I never want to come back. Do not. If you're not comfortable praying, don't. But at least experience the, 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 the moment of prayer and what it sounds and, and, and can feel like. And to that end, give people a chance to pray. 
I'm a big fan of one-sentence prayer. It doesn't take long. God hears you, knows your heart. Give others an opportunity to chime in. And you can go around the circle one, two, three times, however many times you can in the minute that we have. Amen. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, we adore you today. We honor you. We worship your holy name. You are not us, and we are not you, and we are grateful. And so we bow humbly before a holy God in whose presence we are just in awe, in awe that you invite us to encounter you, in awe that you invite us to partner with you, in awe that your thoughts of us are greater than the sands in the sea. God, we adore you for who you are. You are holy, Yahweh, self-existent, the eternal one. Father, you are heavenly and holy, and you reign supreme. You sit on the right hand of the Father, Jesus, and we acknowledge that before we do anything today. We acknowledge who we are not today and in whose presence we are and to that end whose we are and the safety we find in that. We, we adore you and honor you and worship you this morning. The second point is that of confession. Daily in this sanctification process, each of us can certainly confess. Now, this isn't a moment for you to air your dirty laundry for the group who doesn't probably want to hear it, <laughs> nor do I think you'd want to say that. But maybe it's a confession of the broader community's indiscretions or the nation's indiscretions, or if there is an individual concern that you have that you feel comfortable and and, and, and sharing, but not making it all about you in this moment, confess those things. And on also of your heart, you can confess those things in your heart that you know you need to. But practice for a moment what it is and looks like to say, God, I'm sorry. And I repent, meaning I turn away. I confess those things to you. He knows. He's just waiting for us to say, yes, I'm proud. <laughs> yes, that's an issue at my doorstep. God, I'm handing it over to you for about a minute or so. Confession. Heavenly Father, we know your word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know in 1 John 1 and 9 that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the former part, you give us the opportunity to participate in in confessing. And today we confess those things we know to confess and those things we don't even know in our blind spots, God, that is not pleasing in your sight, that doesn't align with your word, that, that, that doesn't send up a sweet-smelling Savior in your nostrils. God, we submit them to you and ask you today to clean us out afresh, fill those areas of lack in our lives with your grace. Where pride is, displace it with your love. Where lust is, displace it with your perfect love. God, where envy is, displace it. We confess those things, each of us, individually and collectively. And we bow humbly before you and say, God, help us, forgive us, and lead us in the way of righteousness. And may we commit to every day being more obedient than we were the day prior, more faithful than we were the day prior. In Jesus' name. Thirdly, this one I know can go on all day because we got a lot to thank him for. This is the fact that we're standing here breathing and didn't have to do anything about it. But take a moment and just express to Jesus, our Heavenly Father, the things for which we are thankful, individually, collectively, corporately. Take a minute.
Lord, we thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you for strength. We thank you for protection. We thank you for provision. We thank you for for a place to lay our head at night. We thank you for uh, healing us, family members of ours. We thank you for uh, employment. We thank you for uh, our bodies working as they should. And even when they're not, we thank you for the things that are working the way that they should. We thank you. We thank you for being here today. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, being raised to life, paying a debt we should have paid. God, we can't thank you enough for that. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We acknowledge that we don't have the full gravity of the depth of what you did on the cross means for us. We know that it means that we're standing, and we know that it means we now have the opportunity to evade the penalty of sin, to, to have power over the, the, the power of sin, and someday to, to be delivered from the presence of sin when we come back or when you come back for us. We thank you for that and so much more, and we'll commit to doing that on a daily basis, having that attitude of gratitude in Jesus' name. Last but certainly not least, supplication. And this is where we have an opportunity to present to him our request. Philippians 4, around verse 4 through 8, if you have a chance to study it later, it talks about not being anxious, but presenting to him with thanksgiving all of those things we want to ask. And I love the with thanksgiving part because that still makes its way in. If we ask anything in his will, according to his will, he'll give it to us. So without anxiety, we can say, God, we ask for these things in line with your will today. Take a moment and ask of the Lord. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you hear us when we call you. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, call on the Lord and he will answer. The psalmist David says throughout Psalms that we cry out to you. We cry out to you, Lord, and we are thankful that you hear us. We ask today for more wisdom. We ask today for more understanding. We ask today that you would take the scales from our eyes to see with the perspective that you have as it relates to our family, as it relates to our workplace, as it relates to the community we serve. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Fill us with, as Colossians 3 says, your compassion and your your humility and your gentleness and your patience and your kindness. We ask, God, that you would come near to us into the very situations that we may think are unreachable by you and show yourself strong. Come into the space of doubt and unbelief. Come into the space of physical lack of health. Come into the space of mental lack of health. Come into the space of what seems to be irreparable relational damage. Show up in a way that we have to look and say like they said here, what is going on? God must be at work here. God, come, come come and may we be the conduits through whom you can come such that our community looks and says what must we do what must we do we ask God show us more of you and with humility as it's written in second chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 it says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. May we humbly submit and converse with you, not with perfect or eloquent words. That's not necessary as your word says, but that we converse 
in the real, authentic beings you've created us to be. May we do that and encounter you in real ways every day, individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.